Hello and welcome to Tapeheads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Tapeheads is the podcast where we select a VHS tape from either my collection or Lindsay's collection. We watch it and then we talk about it. Um, this is the second sort of holiday episode, isn't it? Sort of holiday episode. Well, I mean, this is a Christmas movie. Would you agree? It's vaguely a Christmas movie. It's not quite a true Christmas movie. It has the trappings of Christmas decorations, but none of the Christmas plot points or themes. This is an ongoing debate whether or not this film is a Christmas movie. Uh, the film, of course, that we're covering today is Cobra, the 1986 action-adventure film starring Sylvester Stallone, written by Sylvester Stallone, probably at least partially directed, uh, uncredited, by Sylvester Stallone. Because he was clearly a control freak. He was a huge control freak in this era. Um, His wife at the time, Bridget Nielsen, plays the lead. His short-term wife, Bridget Nielsen. Yeah, they they were married from 85 to 87, so this is kind of right in the middle of that, right after they uh, were in Rocky IV together. Wait, is it pronounced Brigitte, or is it Bridget? Um, She's European, isn't she? You know, I bet it is Brigitte. Brigitte. I have no idea. This is another thing where we just don't know, and there's (laughs) we could confirm it, but maybe we don't need to. Let's let's say Brigitte for the sake of argument. This movie is actually directed by a fella named George P. Cosmatos, who teamed up with Stallone for a couple things, including Rambo 2, or excuse me, Rambo First Blood Part 2. And uh, But my understanding of this guy is he kind of was there to, you know, assist in Stallone getting his vision to the screen. Kind of like Disney and their directors for Star Wars. Yes. Oh, by the way, no ads on the tape. We should get that out of the way right now, because I feel like... There are usually never any ads on tapes like this. Yeah, and, and this is a Warner Brothers tape, which are kind of hit or miss for ads. I, it's Again, it sort of depends on if it's for adults or for children. I do kind of wonder how effective VHS ads were. I wonder if some of them made the economic calculus to figure out that... It wasn't worth the extra tape and manpower to put together a string of ads. Um, so a little background on my history with Cobra. Um, this is not <laughs> a movie that I necessarily grew up with. Um, I did grow up with Stallone movies. I've always liked Sylvester Stallone. I had a lot of gaps, I guess. A lot of blind spots in my Stallone knowledge, which is where my uh, college roommate Ricky came in. <laughs> Uh, he's a big-time Stallone fan, and when we lived together, he introduced me to all the Rocky sequels, which I'd been avoiding for a long time. He introduced me to a lot of Stallone movies, but the most memorable one, and the one that we revisited every Christmas, was Cobra. It's sort of this cat-and-mouse sort of game between, uh, Sylvester's character, Marion Cobra Cabretti, and... One of the most, like, poorly conceived gangs in a movie ever. It's like they didn't do any development to the gang. It's just vaguely a violent, crazy cult. And then that's it. There's not really any other development. You can kind of feel like there's a religious element where they think they, they're going to take over the world and that they the people the, in their cult are the future and everybody else is going to be obsolete. It's the way of the new world! 
but then you just don't find out what that means or what their vision actually is or anything. They're just wanting to kill everybody. We kill the weak so the strong survive, pig. <laughs> Isn't that kind of how it works normally? I, I don't know, but I, I have to admit that... A lot of times, Rick and I would just watch the opening sequence of this movie. It peaks early, Cobra. <laughs> it peaks right at the beginning. The opening sequence... I mean, so I'm including this opening narration where Stallone slowly points his uh, 45 or whatever at the camera and does this kind of mumbly uh, monologue that doesn't really tie into anything, where he's just kind of like mumbling crime statistics at you, where he goes... In America, there's a burglary every 11 seconds, an armed robbery every 65. And it goes it goes on like that. And then he shoots a bullet at the camera and boom, red screen, cobra, we're in for the right of our lives. Is that when he says crime is a disease, meet the cure? Or is that actually in the movie or is that only oh, the that's, tagline? That's also part of this opening sequence. So I'm getting to that. Uh... The opening credits play out over... I'm going into a lot of detail because the rest of the movie is kind of meh, but this opening is... (laughs) The opening is genuinely pretty fun The opening is a tour de force. Uh, (laughs) So it's the first of many montages in this movie. Sorry to interrupt, but I'm just imagining Stallone, like, doing this first... And then just being like, yep, I'm done. I don't really need to try for the rest of the thing. Not that I don't enjoy the rest of the movie, but there's definitely a drop-off after this whole sequence that I'm going to describe in excruciating detail. This character who's only credited as the grocery store gunman, who's played by a character actor named Marco Rodriguez. And I and I pay him special credit because he is the MVP of this movie, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. He has a small role... But he does it so well. He's so good in this movie. It makes you yes. want him to be in more stuff. I don't know if I would call him good. He's a perfect fit for this yeah, sequence. He's tuned in. Because I've seen him be a... You know, I've seen him turn in good performances and other things. But he's tuned into the campy sort of quality of this movie. In a way that Stallone isn't necessarily. He walks into the supermarket jittery and Totally seeming as if he's completely <laughs> coked out of his mind. Dressed in this long black pea coat, I guess to cover the, the, the shotgun and the bomb that he's brought with him. But we're getting a little ahead of ourselves because this guy, this this grocery store gunman, uh, also known apparently on Wikipedia as Supermarket Killer, take your pick, he's a part of this gang called the New World. The New Order or whatever you want to call it. It's the way of the New World. Um, so I didn't pick up on that when I was watching it. I didn't pick up on the whole New World cult thing until later with the other creepy guy. With this guy, I just thought he was a druggie that went bonkers. Yeah, oh no, he's part of it. Because this opening montage, the first of, I'd say, four or five long montages, kind of MTV-style montages that were very popular at this time, we see the grocery store madman driving towards the grocery store on his motorcycle and this kind of like red filtered sort of fisheye lens it's all very surreal and it's intercut with this warehouse where there's this vast collection of men they're all men from all walks of life there's businessmen construction workers 
and they are clanking axes over their heads like long some of them are hatchets some of them are fire axes but it's like this routine or this ritual some kind of religious ritual yeah and this is this is the way of the new world okay you you get together in these dingy warehouses and you clank axes over your head in unison uh it's such an image and they have a lot of them have tattoos of skulls with axes and and it's a lot of it is in red you know christmas yeah. colors i like how when we were watching it you kind of wondered aloud if they were doing that in a silent room in unison or if there was music playing for them to time to yeah this grocery store sequence you know, if you watch any part of Cobra, I strongly suggest you watch this first 10 minutes where basically the grocery store killer walks in with a shotgun and he starts shooting up the place, but he's mostly just shooting the produce and the bulk section and like large piles of peanuts. He really only kills one dude. He's a really bad terrorist. Sort of seems like he wants to get the press there. He wants to get news crews there. I see. He wants to bring him in so he can explain, like, the New World's agenda and then blow the place up. Because he's got a bomb. Because that's really going to work for you. Yeah. It is interesting, though, because that was a thought I had when we were watching it, where I could kind of see this happening... Even as absurd as it was, it kind of is reminiscent of some current events. The fact that he only kills one person, like, this probably wouldn't even make the news now in real life, sadly. Yeah. Um, local news. Maybe local news, yeah. So the cops, of course, swoop in, and they, they, they're they surrounding the grocery store. Uh, one of them, of course, is another great character in this movie, Sergeant Gonzalez, who uh, you might recognize as Poppy from Seinfeld, the guy who doesn't <laughs> wash his hands when he works the dough. Um, but anyway, they decide we got to call in the Cobra. Sylvester Stallone as Cobra uh, shows up at the grocery store. He's kind of just messing with this killer. He gets on the PA system and he says like, Hey, dirtbag, you're a lousy shot. And that sort of thing. (laughs) There's a ton of product placement too. Like a huge... They repeatedly are showing you Pepsi. And they have this really elaborate Pepsi display with a plastic swirl that's made to look like the the sodas uh, being poured out into a glass or a cup and then the one that i don't get is he's standing behind a fridge in one of the aisles of refrigerated or frozen products and he's looking around to the killer stallone picks up a cores that's room temperature (laughs) pops it open takes a big old swig from it so gets his nice warm beer and then tosses it as a distraction. It's like, why did you want to do that with room temperature beer? Why didn't you just toss it? Well, he's a very eccentric guy, Cobra. I mean, his, his name is Marion Cabretti. He's sort of a strange guy. He's very strange. I mean, there's a point later in the movie when he's eating pizza with sunglasses and gloves on inside his home. His whole domestic situation is bizarre. Cutting the pizza with scissors and eating tiny triangles at a time. <laughs> He, yeah, he doesn't take off his gloves, he eats pizza with his gloves, he picks up a newspaper only to put it on his barbecue, he's an odd guy. I almost think of him as midway between his two most famous characters, Rocky and Rambo, because like Rambo, he's a killing machine. And like, and like Rocky, he's a little simple. He's a little, like, Rambo 
as much PTSD as Rambo has, he wouldn't sit in his house with sunglasses and leather gloves <laughs> on eating pizza with scissors. We don't know that. We don't really see Rambo eat, except for, like, you know, wild pigs that he hunts down out in the woods. I've admittedly, I've never seen Rocky, so I can't do any comparison there, but I have seen Rambo and Rambo too. Well, he's like a sort of a charming simpleton, which which comes through a lot in Cobra's characterization, but also just like all the eccentric things. He's always wearing like this leather trench coat and sunglasses. He has a match in his mouth, which he like later uses to set a guy on fire. He stores his newspaper in a barbecue. Oh, important detail we're leaving out of this grocery store sequence. I feel like this sequence is going to be half the episode because there's not a lot to say about the movie after this. It's just decked out for Christmas. The whole front of the store is painted. It really, like, makes you feel like, you know, the holiday season welling up inside you. The holiday spirit of blood. And in that scene where the grocery store maniac says to this young strapping lad, he says, Go! You're free! And sort of like lets him, makes him think that he gets to get away. But when he shoots him, he very tellingly crashes into a Christmas tree. And the camera just lingers on this uh, plastic snowman that's kind of just staring right into camera to let you know this is a Christmas movie. And then Sylvester Stallone searched his body and found a card that said, whoever finds this card becomes Santa Claus. Exactly. If you put on their outfit. Wouldn't so that be So Sylvester crazy? Stallone became Santa Claus. And the rest of the movie is him delivering toys to children. You know, Stallone doesn't have a lot of good one-liners in this movie. But, like, most of them are crammed into this one scene where he goes, I don't deal with psychos. I put them away. Which is a pretty good line. Eh. <laughs> But then he, when uh, the, this grocery store killer is insisting that he's a hunter and a hero of the new world, Cobra very pointedly corrects him and tells him, you're a disease, I'm the cure. Ah. Which is when he guns him down. Yeah, that's not a cure. You're just killing him. <laughs> <laughs> I keep going back to him swigging the warm beer. Oh, yeah. And... He walks down that aisle before he drinks his warm beer, and all the refrigerator doors are open. And I know it creates a great effect, but there are just people standing there by these open refrigerator doors. And that also confuses me when I see that, because it's like, wouldn't you want to get away from all the glass that could be shattered and spray into your face? And Yeah, this, I don't know. it's a very surreal sequence, and nothing else quite lives up to it. Basically, after this scene ends, it very quickly gets into the main plot, which is Brigitte Nielsen is this supermodel, I guess, who poses (laughs) with robots. It's the 80s. Yeah, she witnesses the Night Slasher gang. Basically, the, the main method of killing is that this huge guy, Brian Thompson... The Night Slasher, as he's known. That's another weird thing about this movie. The cops are convinced it's just one guy. And who's it's a killed, whole group. He's killed, like, dozens of people within a month. It's a ridiculous, like, st- uh, uh, statistic that he hears on TV when he's at home cutting up his pizza with scissors. Where it's like, the, he's basically killed 18 people in a month with this very, like, particular knife. This huge knife. And the cops are insistent that it, it's just one guy. And, but it's clearly, like, a huge gang of people that are doing this. Well, and teaming up and enabling. Because mm-hmm. I do think I do think the Night Slasher, or whatever his name is, is 
doing most of the killing. Because he's a creepy, sweaty weirdo. The other thing that's weird to me is that exchange. So Brigitte Nielsen is driving down the road. The, The evil cult people are in the middle of killing someone in their van. But she doesn't really see anything. And yet this guy decides to track her down and murder her. Which they yeah. could have just gotten away with it. She wasn't going to report it or know anything that happened. Yeah, I mean, clearly she wasn't because she went straight to work. She went straight to her photo shoot. And she seems to like... Ro- to the robots. Yeah, to the robots. And uh, it doesn't really seem like she's that concerned about it until she definitely witnesses some murders take place in the parking garage. Yeah. Including the, the pervy photographer. Okay, yeah, so there's this photographer and hello of the moment she's walking through this parking garage with i guess he was the photographer yeah he's sort of a poor man's anthony hopkins i think he's hitting on her non-stop essentially saying i can make your career happen if you're if you'll sleep with me and he's unbelievably gross so when he ends up getting murdered i don't feel so bad for him but again, like, keeping with the overkill of this movie, it's not enough for that guy to get killed. There's also this random guy with glasses who, like, is carrying a bottle of champagne. He gets killed. A security guard gets killed. I guess part of this, though, is because we're saying, why her? Why did they go after her? Because she didn't really know anything. She didn't actually see anything. But it seems like part of it is that this guy is just totally nutsos and wants to kill everyone. So he kind of uses it as an excuse to go and murder more people, which is trying i guess their attempt to explain the motivations of the cult without actually developing them in a complex way yeah and it's it's also hard to tell like how he was able to convert all these people to his cult because he's such a maniac i mean he even has his right hand woman is a member of the police who's kind of like feeding him information throughout the movie that's how he's kind of always one step ahead of the cops and how they don't understand that there's sort of an inside person feeding I mean, at one point, she says to, uh, I guess her boyfriend, the Night Slasher, uh, she says, she's going to wreck our new world, <laughs> meaning about Brigitte Nielsen, <laughs> which is another classic quote. Because Brigitte Nielsen is essentially the only person who can identify the Night Slasher. Which seems unlikely given how many victims have been killed by this gang. Okay, maybe the Night Slasher guy is the most violent and he's sort of leading it, but even if you kill him off, you've still got all of these other people who think that they have to murder everybody to make a new world. So, But they kind of make the cops dumb in this. Oh, they make them very dumb. And, and Stallone is the standout of the only one that can save us all. It's kind of a retread of Dirty Harry in a lot of ways, where it's like there's this kind of fascist, like, lone wolf cop who wants to get things done his way. And then there's like the coded, you know, liberal, more bureaucratic uh, side. They even get Andrew Robinson from Dirty Harry, who's the killer in Dirty Harry, um, to play his kind of superior. It's un- it's unclear where they really rank here because Cobra and his partner, Poppy, <laughs> or uh, I'm Sergeant Gonzalez, are part of like this zombie squad, which basically does all the dirty work that no one else wants to do. But there's a lot of, like, really ham-fisted right-wing stuff in this movie where it's, like, all about, like, hey, if they just let Stallone off the leash, he'd end this thing in a day. But he has to deal with all these PC, like, left-wing cops that are just in his way. And it's very, like, annoying, but it's just kind of, like, 
You kind of are getting that when you tune into a Stallone movie. It's just part of the deal. Yeah. Uh, one connection that I want to make to a prior Tapeheads movie is one of the police officers is a dad, one of the dads in the Native American appropriation group in Man of the House. Oh, that's right. Played by Art LaFleur. Yeah, that was a good catch. Apparently he's in some of the Santa Claus movies, too. Wait, which ones? He's in two and three as the Tooth Fairy. The Santa Claus 2, also known as... The Mrs. Claus? No, it doesn't okay. actually have a subtitle, does it? Let's be as heteronormative as possible and force Tim Allen to marry a woman so he can stay as Santa Claus. Yeah. What if he wanted to have a Mr. Santa Claus? Yeah, basically, Disney is trying to tell you that Santa can't be gay. Can't Santa just not be in a relationship for a while? Why are you forcing it on him? One thing that was interesting to me was that Stallone and Brigitte Nielsen did not really have chemistry, despite the fact that they were married. I mean, the, the marriage only lasted a couple of years. Yes, and maybe not despite the fact. <laughs> maybe that was just how they were. I guess they sort of have a love scene at the hotel at the end, but it's so forgettable. And the way that it's shot, like with 80s, like easy listening music, it's so yeah. pedestrian. It's so clear that it's like perfunctory. It's like, okay, let's get through this. Let's have a love scene. I do. I do appreciate that even though she's a super, she's playing a model and they have this perfunctory love scene at the end, they don't sexually ex exploit her i guess is the way i want to put it like they don't use her body gratuitously in this film which is a little unexpected for how gory it is seems like the type of film where they do that they still don't give her much to do and her character doesn't really develop even though she's going through a lot of stuff so that's too bad but yeah it's it's a weird movie and uh, apparently like a half hour was cut from it it's like it's a lean 87 minutes what this movie what would they have done in that other half hour <clears throat> i think that a lot i mean some of it was just straight up violence and then other parts i think were developing the cult more and probably just developing um some of the characters a little bit more i like the idea of them cutting violence given that the film battle that like that end battle ends with the with the night slasher getting hooked so it like hooks him through the back right so it probably goes through his spine he's in horrible pain and then he's just carried on this hook into some sort of like smelting oven type thing and he's burned to death <laughs> yeah to that same end this is also kind of a horror movie in a lot of ways this hospital sequence where Basically, after this initial attack where Brigitte Nielsen is sort of recovering from the parking garage sequence, it's kind of like Halloween 2 in the sense that yeah. Brian Thompson shows up, he's like dyed his hair jet black, and he's kind of just going around the hospital killing people with a knife and like a scalpel. Like Mike and, Myers, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot like Michael Myers, and, and it comes down to this very like sort of Shining-esque scene where he's like bashing the knife through the door and he's got her like pinned in this bathroom Stallone is racing there to like stop it but it's a that whole hospital sequence is very yeah. much like a horror movie I wish that they had given her a little more agency because if you're thinking about Halloween I mean as frustrating as different parts of Halloween are Jamie Lee Curtis gets to fight back more than Brigitte Nielsen does oh, big time. and that's thing that it's something that kind of pissed me off but I think they just don't want her to outshine Stallone in any way and you know sort of tying into just how surreal and weird this movie is there's at the end of that hospital sequence and she's been screaming for somebody to help 
and it seems like the hospital is just deserted. <laughs> she pulls the fire alarm, and all of a sudden, like, dozens of people come out of the room. Like, were they... You know, the- maybe they just hear people screaming bloody murder all the time. It's a hospital. And there's also this scene <laughs> that we totally skipped over. I don't know. This is another, like... This is right up. This is probably second place to the grocery store scene where he drives this huge, like, gunmetal gray 1950 Mercury. And I guess he's got his special parking spot right outside his apartment or across the street from his his, uh, apartment in Venice Beach. And there's these guys that are clearly supposed to be Mexican. They're listening to, like, Latin music. They're wearing their tank tops, and they're kind of hanging out by their lowrider. And he just comes up and, like, bashes their car out of the way, just kind of, like, pushes it aside. The leader of this gang sort of comes up and is like, hey, man, what you doing? It's very cringy, like, West Side Story sort of acting. Stallone's like, clean up your act. And he rips his tank top, and, and in one of the, like, most amazing goofs in a movie... You can see his lav mic taped to his chest, this actor. It's funny because I interpreted that as this guy was an undercover cop or something. And then I was confused that his friends didn't, none of his friends noticed that that he had his wire showing. I just thought it was a wire and it was somebody Stallone knew. And so Stallone was just kind of pissed that the guy didn't get out of his way. Yeah. And like later this, this same gang of guys like respects him. It's really weird. Yeah, and they immediately rush to get out of his way and open up his parking spot, which is absurd. But it's funny that you thought it was an intentional thing because it's such a glaring goof. Like, it 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 almost seems like it's intentional. Well, and it didn't make sense, though. Even though I thought it was intentional, it didn't make sense. And it's on screen for a while. It almost makes you wonder if the actor didn't, and, like, no one involved knew that he was going to be doing that, tearing the shirt. That was, like, an improv thing. I just wonder if Stallone was just kind of like, no, it was a good take, leave it in. But it's like, the camera just lingers on this lav mic taped to his chest with like big pieces of masking tape. It's a really weird mistake to include in the final cut of a movie. And then Stallone walks up to his apartment where there's a huge neon sign for Pepsi. Oh yeah, he he's just surrounded by Pepsi logos. Except in one weird scene where uh, his partner... His only characterization is that he likes junk food. Yeah. He's drinking a Coke. Yeah, that's a little weird, but maybe it's because his partner isn't cool like Stallone. But I also like that Stallone's character gives his partner shit for what he eats. And it's like, dude, you eat pizza with scissors. You should eat fish. You should eat rice. Prunes. (laughs) He's always like telling him (laughs) to eat things that he doesn't eat himself. Yeah, so so pretty much after this hospital scene, it's just, you know, Brigitte Nielsen is in protective custody. I mean, using that term loosely because she's just haphazardly put in danger all the time. She's well, practically bait. They they decide to take her to upstate California. Who says that? No one says that. That's not a thing. Which I think only happened because Stallone himself is from New York and he wrote the script. They just kind of take her and then and they're attacked over and over again. It just not giving you much faith in how the system works. Oh, really quick. I noticed that on the Wikipedia page for Cobra, there's been some liberties taken here because 
They describe the New World, this cult, as a supremacist group of social Darwinist radicals that despise modern society and believe in killing the weak, leaving only the strongest and smartest to rule the world. But if that was true, why would they be trying to kill Cobra, who's like this invincible one-man army? So actually, that was a thought that I had during the movie, which the guy kept saying that they were going to kill the weak and leave the strong. And I was thinking, but Cobra would be perfect for your group. Why wouldn't you attempt to recruit him? And all the gang members except for Brian Thompson are super weak. I mean, in this like closing shootout, which begins at this like old hotel and then goes to orange groves, and then goes to a smelting plant. I'd say that Cobra guns down conservatively 30 of these cult members, and he just kind of, like, picks them off with a machine gun, and they fall off their motorcycles. Maybe the premise of the film is that you have these evolved people that are in the cult, but Cobra is the ultimate one of them all. And so that's how he's able to take them down. Could be. He's the most supreme human specimen you could find. One thing that you kept commenting on, Lindsay, is that this is a very sweaty movie. Now, what do you mean by that? The night slasher is just sweating in every single scene. I totally get them sweating in the, the, in the smelting factory because there's fire everywhere. Even Stallone starts sweating. But he has like a nice light sheen of sweat, whereas the night, the night slasher or whatever he is, in every scene throughout the film is just drenched and dripping. And he's got rivers going by the time he's in that smelting factory. And I don't understand if that was a choice for his character. It must have been. They must have been just spraying him like crazy in between shots. But then why? Is it to make him less attractive? Like, man, this guy's really evil. Look at how sweaty he is. Yeah, I mean, he's so much more buffer and built uh, than Stallone. I mean, Stallone looks tiny. It's it's sort of a similar thing uh, to what he'd just done the previous year in Rocky IV, where it's like, you know, I'm a pretty big, tough guy, but what if I face a guy who's like a foot taller than me and like way buffer? It's not enough to just do that. He's also just kind of got to be covered in sweat. I think that's how they try to make him gross, where you're not into him at all. He just pales in in comparison. I could see Stallone's ego leading him to cover his co-stars in sweat so they are not as appealing. And ends with what uh, Ricky and I always considered to be, my roommate Ricky and I considered to be a really poor ripoff of I Fought the Law. This song is actually Voice of America's Sons by John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band. The tune is a little similar though. You might notice in the credits that it's based on a novel called Fair Game by Paula Gosling. Very loosely. Very loosely based. And apparently when the movie came out, Stallone wanted the novel to be reissued with himself credited as co-author. Which is a figment of his imagination. He did not write that book. How could he be a co-author? He used it as sort of inspiration. And about ten years later, they did make a movie called Fair Game with Billy Baldwin and Cindy Crawford. Which seems to be an even looser adaptation of the source material. Uh, I I haven't seen it. I can't really speak to uh, how much it has to do with the book, but there you go. The original book takes place in upstate California. (laughs) (laughs) In San Francisco, you're right, upstate. And the other film that this movie is linked to 
is Beverly Hills Cop, which came out um, just before. He was originally supposed to play, I guess, the Eddie Murphy role, but he wanted to rewrite the script completely, take out basically all the comedy, all the things that that movie is known for, and just turn it into an action movie that would be more in like the Stallone mold. And they turned it down, so he basically went off and made Cobra. I can't even imagine that movie without Eddie Murphy. Yeah, and what's hilarious is Beverly Hills Cop was a huge financial hit, and you know that screenplay that he rewrote, that original screenplay, went on to be nominated for an Academy Award. Yeah, the one that he he wanted yeah. to destroy with his own work. And rightly so. That's a really tight, you know, punchy script that doesn't have the uh, logic gaps that Cobra has. It's so interesting that he had gotten a screenwriting nomination in the 70s. Yeah, for the first Rocky. And then he ended up with this. Oh, and by the way, just to remind you that this is a Christmas movie, during one of the car chases, we do see Mr. Santa Claus himself peeking out of a toll booth. So there you go. Christmas movie. No. (laughs) I mean, it kind of is, I guess, but they just don't commit to Christmas. They don't commit in the same way that Die Hard does, where even in the score, you can sort of hear sleigh bells. Yeah, this is definitely not a a diehard caliber film. All right, Sean, I think it's that time. Do you buy it, rent it, or tape over it? Ricky and I, we we live in different cities now, but nevertheless, we do get together almost every Christmas to watch Cobra together. More often than not, I would say. We, We sit down and watch this movie, and it takes a pretty special, unique movie it's unique all right so i'm gonna have to say buy it okay for everyone else i would say it's probably a tape over it uh i this is not a this is not a a good movie i'll say but it fills me with holiday cheer watching it it's just such a bizarre concept for a movie and that opening sequence alone just taken as an action short is just so eccentric and weird that it's it's worth watching for that alone. So, yeah, buy it. Lindsay? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of hard because I wish we had a category for if it happened to be on and you had nothing else to do, you could watch it. <laughs> well, I think there is a category for that and it's called tape over it. <laughs> yeah. For me, this is a tape over it. It's not very good. It's really flawed. And uh, I enjoyed watching it because I watched it with you. If I had watched it alone, I think I would have been really ticked off. So for me, a tape over it. I don't regret watching it. I know there are a lot of people that would find much joy in this movie. I think my brother would love this movie. (laughs) I'm sure your dad has seen this movie. My dad has absolutely seen this movie. And I I did recommend it to my brother because it's right up his alley. But it's not up my alley. Fair enough. All right, Lindsay, well, we're heading into a new year for Tapeheads. um, And we're switching back over to your VHS collection. What have you got picked out for us? We're going to watch the completely unknown classic, (laughs) Simply Irresistible, starring Sarah Michelle Gellar and a guy whose face I kind of recognize, but I don't know his name. Is it Sean Patrick Flannery that's in that? That might be it. I genuinely don't know. 
because he just does not register at all when I watch that movie. I just, my whole focus is on Sarah Michelle Gillar and the magical crab. I'd like to thank Will Price for use of his song Mandatory Groove. You can hear more of Will's music at soundcloud.com slash gargantulon. You can learn more about us and our other episodes at tapeheadspodcast.com. You can also contact us at tapeheadspodcast at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear your feedback. Please rate and review on iTunes. That's it for Tapeheads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Until next time.